For how many of you was that last song brand spanking new? Yeah. Now here's what's fun about new music. I'm serious on this. This is part of what's fun about new music. It makes you think, doesn't it? You engage freshly with the words of the song. Now, I love the beat and little, maybe a little Caribbean vibe to that, you know, it's kind of cool. But what's really cool is I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm also I'm trying to sing it and kind of get a little bit of it, you can kind of go with it. But what's cool about that is the message that also... So I'm going to come back to the things we talked about, particularly at the, at the end of our series with red letters. And we talked about the cross. We, we, had a, we had a cross here. And we talked about there was a tension between the cross here and we talked about the world being over here and the world living in darkness, correct? And so as we wrestled through that whole conversation, we talked about how the cross shines light and the challenge for us to live in that place of light and to come into that place of light. And particularly that last refrain, open the windows and let the light in. What's going on in our world? Over here, our world is drawing the shades. Right? They don't want the light in. They don't want the things that are going on in their lives being seen. They don't want the things going on in their lives being exposed by the light of God. But over here, as we start to experience more and more who God is, what should we be doing? We should be opening the shades. We should be opening the doors. We should be opening the windows. Now, we, we, most of you know at this point, we, Joan and I sold our house. We moved into a small apartment. And so in the evening... We have two primary windows that face outside on, as we come into the living space. Big sliding screen door with top to bottom shades and then a big kind of open window in the family room, living room area. And in the evening, we, we close them. I don't want to live in a fishbowl with everyone outside watching everything we're doing. and So we close them, but in the morning we come out, what do we do? We pull, the, we pull the shades open. We, we lift up the curtains. Why? Because we want to let the light in. And the challenge is wanting to let the light of Jesus Christ into our lives. Open, open those shades. Open those windows. Open those doors. Let the light of Christ come in. That's part of the challenge of our journey, isn't it? But do you ever notice how when you're hiding over here, you want to close the shades you want to close the curtains at times because you're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing or you have patterns or routines in your life that you know really shouldn't be there and so you don't want the light to shine because it's going to bring conviction, it's going to bring guilt and you're going to come back and say, I need to change this. The challenge of our journey is to let the light shine. To let it shine. But then I love the other refrain as well. The king is coming in. He's coming in. Not only do we let the light shine, but the king is entering in, and we get to celebrate him, and we get to rejoice in his entrance, and we get to herald and celebrate and lift our voices to hoot and holler and shout and cheer as he enters in. And again, that should be part of our journey. And what's really cool about this, it's not just for Sunday morning, is it? It's not just for Sunday morning. This should be kind of how we live our lives. This should be the the passion we walk and live with, opening up our lives to the light of Christ, and then celebrating and rejoicing as we see the work of God going and moving forward and, and rejoicing in that. So, with all this fun stuff, 
this is part of the fun of new music. Because it just introduces things that gets us to think and process and to focus in on worship and praise just a little bit differently, which is really cool and really great. So, Habakkuk. Let's look at Habakkuk this morning. I had to say something because I was enjoying it. So thank you guys. So Habakkuk has been having a conversation with God. And again, just to review a little bit what we started to talk about last week, we don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk. Because as we kind of look at who Habakkuk is, and we look at the story of Habakkuk, the only stuff we know about Habakkuk is what we read in the book of Habakkuk. We really know very little about him. Excuse me. But a number of things are going on. We know, first of all, that he's wrestling with certain things. He's crying out to God for certain areas. We also know kind of his timeline in history. He is talking to God and he's getting a message from God just before the Babylonian captivity. Now, have you noticed people don't always know about the key cataclysmic events of life that are coming up? So we have the benefit of looking at history. We get the benefit to look backwards in history and say, okay, well, this is taking place in this point in time and all this is taking place right here just before these major events took place. So pause for a second. Put, I'm going to stretch your brain a little bit. Put your thinking cap on and think of Christmas 2019. Christmas morning. Everyone is sitting around the living room or the family room, We're kind of sitting around the, the Christmas tree, and we, we have gifts and, and things like that ready to be given out. Did anyone enjoy opening their present with face masks? Did anyone enjoy opening their Christmas presents with a year supply of hand sanitizer? You mean none of you got that stuff? None of you got that stuff in Christmas of 2019. Come on, we all had to know that the pandemic was just about to hit. No, we didn't know a pandemic was going to hit until March of 2020. And that's when all of a sudden everything hit the fan. We had no clue at Christmas. And Christmas people are giving vacations. They're, they're planning vacations for, for April and May. They're signing up. They're contacting the travel agent. I'd like to go to Florida. I'd like to go to Hawaii. I'd like to head down to the Caribbean. At just about the right period of time to get away from all the noise and commotion. To get away from the cold and find some nice warm places to hang out. And then lo and behold, all these plans get dashed. Because no one had a clue that the pandemic was about to arrive. And that's, again, the kind of ministry of Habakkuk. He's getting a message from God. He's wrestling with God about the things that are going on. And and all of this that's taking place, this conversation Habakkuk is having with God, is all just before everything starts to hit the fan between Babylon and Judah. So again, let's kind of review the the first part of the conversation that Habakkuk has with God. In particular, we're going to look at verses 2 to 4 of chapter 1. And he cries out to the Lord. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? And you do not listen. 
or cry out to you about violence, and you don't save. God, I'm knocking. I'm sending you mail. I'm sending you texts. I'm, I'm, I'm sending you email. I'm sending you snail mail. And I keep on not getting a reply. Now, we have the joy of these things. So this is fun. I'm going to pick on Eugene for a second. So I got a text message from Eugene yesterday morning. And I didn't respond for about 30 to 35 minutes because I was mowing the lawn. So I didn't have my phone with me. It was in, my, it was in the truck and I didn't have it. I had no clue a text message had come through. But I had gotten, gotten done and got back to the car and started to reply to the text message when I got a phone call. Because you never replied. You know, we're waiting 35 minutes and there's nothing. Come on. But isn't it true? When we get a text message, we're waiting. I mean, if someone doesn't reply within a minute, two minutes, man, oh man, what is going on? Something must be wrong. Habakkuk's having this conversation with God. God, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm texting, I'm emailing, I'm crying out to you, I'm sending every, all, every pathway I can get stuff into your presence and glory, I'm sending it there, and I'm getting nothing back. Crickets. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Do you ever have those moments? Again, you're sitting there and maybe a cop is next to you and you watch someone in front of you or maybe someone behind you doing something really stupid that they shouldn't be doing and then you look at the cop and he does nothing and you go, really? And now I'm going to do something stupid you would absolutely pull me over but you're going to let that guy go? Or you have a teacher or administrator or sometimes as a parent and, and they like have blinders on and you're, it's plain to say what's going on, but they have blinders on, and you're expecting them to see, but they don't see. God, are you like eyes closed, blinders on? How come you're doing stuff? You're, how come you're not reacting and responding to what's going on? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing, and conflict escalates. And again, we saw this happen over this past year. Little sparks, some legitimate issues of concern, but those sparks hit and big things start. A small fire turns into a bonfire, which turns into a raging inferno. And it goes on, this is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous and therefore justice comes out perverted and he's just seeing the twistedness of all that's going on there's not fairness, there's not justice there's just ugly wrong things going on all around and he's crying out to God and we talked about this last week he's ready for an answer he's looking for an answer and up to this point in time 
silence. Crickets. Now, there's one other piece to this whole conversation that I want to put on the table this morning that will help you to think through this. And if you would look with me to Second Chronicles, it'll be on the screen as well, Second Chronicles chapter 7. When we look at Second Chronicles chapter 7, this is right after the dedication of the temple. So in chapter 6, there's a long prayer. Solomon has a long prayer, comes, comes down into chapter 7. The temple is dedicated to the Lord. And then God responds and has a conversation, a personal conversation with Solomon after that. And this is part of that conversation. I cut out the middle part because the middle part dealt more with Solomon and the, the kingdom. But the first part and the last part of this three-part conversation God has are here with us on the screen. So here's the first part. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshoppers to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers from this place." And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever in my heart, in my eyes and my heart will be there at all times. Pause. Go to that next screen. Would you, Eugene, for me, please? Now, this is just an editor's note that I put in here. These earlier verses... As you can see there, reflect what Habakkuk is hoping will happen as he cries out to God to intercede. He is hoping in his prayer and his desire is that as he cries out to God, that God would bring repentance, that God would bring confession, and that God would then begin to heal the land and bring restoration to the nation of Israel. However, He also fears the next verses may be how God will reply. Before we go there, let's have a word of prayer and ask God to bless our time. Fathers, we take these next few moments to look at your word, to finish looking at Chronicles and then going back to Habakkuk and looking and hearing what you say. And then the next prayer or the next question that Habakkuk raises, Father, I would ask that you would guide our time, that you would build into us, shape us, and help us. Move us to walk with you in ways that we maybe have not been walking up to now. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's go to the next part, the second part of these verses. And that starts at verse 19. And it says, however, if you, and I think this is both a statement to, to Solomon, but also to Israel. However, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, then I will uproot Israel from the soil that I gave them. And this temple that I have sacrificed, sanctified for my name, I will banish from my presence. 
I will make it an object of scorn and ridicule among the peoples. As for this temple, which was exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will say, Why did the Lord do this to this land and this temple? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their the, the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They clung to other gods and bowed in worship to them and served them. Because of this, he brought all of this ruin on them. Now, Habakkuk brings his prayer. He brings his concern. He brings his complaint. And I would suggest to you that the context of what we have just read in in Chronicles is the tension that he is functioning in. He is crying out to God because he wants to see God heal the land. He wants to see God bring reconciliation. He wants to see God to bring righteousness and justice. He wants to see the nation restored. He wants to see the correct worship of God restored. He wants to see justice and fairness and kindness become the rule of the day. He wants to see all of this take place. But in the back part of his prayer process, nibbles and nags, the second part, that if my people turn their back on me, chase after other idols and do all this other garbage, then I'm going to bring down the hammer. Now let's go back to Habakkuk verse 5. And God starts to answer Habakkuk. Now, isn't it great? Isn't it great when you send a letter to somebody and you don't hear from them forever and you send them another letter or you send them a text, you send them an email and you don't hear from them and you don't hear from them and then all of a sudden you hear from them? Isn't that great? And so he's going through this process. He's crying out to God. He's talking to God. He's not hearing from him. And then God replies. And, and, and get the beginning of this first part of the reply. Just verse 5. We'll just focus on verse 5 for a second. It says, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. For I'm going to do something in your days that, they, that you will not believe when you hear about it. Right? This is a good start. Now, have you guys had things happen in your life that you totally didn't expect? Now, I talked, Grace came over for dinner last night, and I, I told Joan and Grace about this. I had something happen to me yesterday that I did not expect. Totally, totally unexpected. So, with some of the storms that came through, back over on, on our Colfax back part of our property, there's a bunch of branches that came down and a bunch of stuff that needed to be cleaned up. So I went back there with the chainsaw and I brought my truck back there and I parked in the middle of the ground, the, I can't say a field, but that spot behind the, the, the mission house over here. And um, I parked my truck and I'm behind my truck starting to work on the chainsaw to get it going so I can start cutting stuff up. And I hear this flop. Yeah. And I start to walk around the front of the truck and I see this leaf fluttering down. 
I was like, oh, a branch fell on the hood of the truck. This is great. And I walk around the front of the truck, and it's not a branch. It's true. Squirrels do fall out of trees. You know when you watch these squirrels jumping and hopping and doing all this stuff and you think, they never fall. That never happens. They do fall. Then about a foot and a half in front of my truck is a squirrel just laying there. And I was like, it's just moving its head. And so I'm thinking, I'm probably going to have to put this, this thing out of its misery. And so I go grab a part, one of the branches of, that's fallen on the ground. I'm thinking I'm going to have to clunk it on the head. And as I walk over there, oh, and so I just poke it. And it starts to wiggle. I'm thinking his back is broken and something like that is broken. Amazingly, it got up. <laughs> Literally doing this. So, you know, it's kind of walking sideways. You're thinking, boy, it should walk straight. No, it's walking sideways. It's like, whoa. Now, that was kind of amazing. I, I, I've never really had that happen to me before, watching this squirrel fall out of the tree and get gobsmacked in the head and kind of acting weird. So we look at things like this and we say to ourselves at times, so God, you're going to do something cool, you're going to do something crazy, you're going to do something amazing. And it's kind of like this cool, optimistic expectation. Like, oh, I want to be in the front row. I want to see. I want to watch. I want to observe. Because what's about to happen is going to be amazing. And then he starts to hear the rest of what God has to say. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. Now, and terror starts to set in. To maybe put it a little bit in context, I don't think there's, there's a better context, but I'll start with this one. Think of people today praying and asking God to bring revival and renewal. And they're kind of praying the way Habakkuk is praying, and then God starts, let's just say they're, they're, some, they're, they're here in the States, and, and, and God starts to answer them and say, talk to them, to, to them about America from this context of conversation. God says, I'm going to do something amazing. Take a look at Russia. Or consider China. And look at the wonderful things they do as they oppress people and as they gobble up territory. It starts to change. Maybe a better context would have been during World War II. Where God would have said to someone, take a look at Adolf and consider Japan. Consider their might and their terror and their attitude. 
And they're going to come and take a possession of all of who you are. That's the twist and the start of the shift that's starting to take place in this conversation. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and impetuous nation. Don't you love it when a nation, a people, is described as bitter? Anyone have a bitter... No, you probably shouldn't raise your hand. But would anyone enjoy working for a bitter boss? You fill out the application? The things you desire. A bitter, nasty supervisor. A cantankerous and grumpy boss. Intolerant and impatient co-workers. Laziness. I'm the only one working hard and everyone is crabby about it. Bitter. A lot of people are moving. A lot of things are getting shuffled around. You can't control who your neighbor is going to be. Don't you want the guy who's going to throw stuff over the fence into your yard? Bitter and impetuous. That marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own, who's going to take, just to take, to take. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Habakkuk, you need to understand something. As these guys come marching in, they're not going to come marching in with your ideas of values. They're not going to come marching in with your idea of how things should be. You know, Habakkuk, as you're talking about injustice and you're talking about unfairness and you're talking about how these things are taking place that just should not be taking place, I want you to understand... These guys are going to come marching in and they're not going to have your worldview. They're not going to have your perspective. They're not going to have your values. They're going to have a set of values. They're going to have a set of perspectives. They're going to have a set of worldviews that flow solely from them. They're going to have a totally foreign perspective and you're not going to like it because it's going to be shaped by their sense of dominance. It's going to be shaped by their sense of superiority. It's going to be shaped by their sense that we can control. They're going to be bitter. They're going to be impetuous, impatient. And they're coming for you. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles swooping to devour. Talking about their military might. You're going to come into a gunfight with a 22. And they're going to come to the gunfight with 50, 50 millimeter machine guns. You're going to throw smoke bombs and they're going to drop atomic bombs. 
We're talking about people, Habakkuk, who have military might and power, and they're going to dominate you. You're not going to stand a chance. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. Now we understand that one at the beach. We go down to the beach and we dig our holes and we make our sand castles, but just as we would pick up that bucket of sand to move it from one place on the beach to the next, that's kind of what they're doing. They're just going swooping up nation and people one after the other and displacing one group of people after another and just taking them away. I love that. Not really, but the language here. They, they come to do violence. Um... Not Band of Brothers, the Tom, Tom Hanks movie. Um, huh? Saving Private Ryan. In that movie, there's a particular scene. It's a kind of a sobering, sobering scene where I think it's an American guy and a German guy are fighting. It's, it's a knife fight, it's one on one. And a German guy gets the other upper hand. And in that scene, you just watch him as he slowly. Shh, as he drives the knife through the chest of this defeated foe and kills him. Determined to take a life. It's just a sobering scene. That's what these guys are coming to do. They're coming to take your life. They're coming to do violence. They're not coming to sing Kumbaya. They're not coming for a family picnic. They're coming to do violence. And they're set on that course. You're not going to dissuade them. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Now think about it for a second. Who do you think, in the War of 1812, when Washington, D.C. was sacked, who do you think went marching first into the White House, and who do you think was marching first through the walls of Congress? Was it the generals? No. It was the militia. It was the regular soldier with a with a rifle or a handgun, a bayonet on the end. And they were giddy to find guys in authority. See, because as, as, as they're at war, the people in authority of the, the, be, the, the nation being defeated, the people in authority, they don't have any authority anymore. They don't have any power anymore. They are at the whim of the lowest of the army coming in. They're just a pawn to be captured, to be played with. And the least in the military can mess with them. There's no respect. 
no consideration. During Desert Storm, do you remember the playing cards story about how the playing cards were handed out to the American GIs and others? Why? So that they would be able to recognize and see who the players were so that they could be captured. They were pawns to the hands of the common soldier to be rounded up. They sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilt they are guilty. Their strength is their God. So God, I'm talking to you. I'm asking you to do stuff. I'm asking you to do things. I'm asking you to change things. I'm asking you to turn things around. And God, you are silent. You're being quiet. Talk to me. And he finally talks. And the part of him says, okay, God, be silent. I don't want to hear. And God identifies that he is going to bring judgment. Now, here's one of the things I want you to recognize and I want you to see and think about. God is, God did not do something miraculous, per se, to punish the nation of Israel. A number of years before this, Assyria is knocking on the door of Judah and is threatening to conquer the kingdom and conquer the city. And the nation cried out, and God said, I'm going to intervene. And when God said, I'm going to intervene, he didn't say, yeah, the Assyrians are going to come cart you away. No, God intervened at that point in time in a different way. The night before the big army and the big, the night before the big battle was really going to engage this massive, huge Assyrian army sitting at the gates of the city. They go to bed. And 110,000 of them do not wake up. Because God miraculously intervened and brought defeat. And they left defeated and broken. And it started the turn of their decline as a nation, Assyria. But in this process, as God starts to bring judgment on the nation of Israel, he does not do that through miraculous through what is perceived to be miraculous events. A year ago. As we would be talking about COVID, and as this whole conversation would take place, the common language would be a recognition or a statement that this is a virus that surfaced, it's a natural event and it happened. Today, the understanding has significantly shifted. Today, it's fairly regularly recognized that the COVID-19 virus was an engineered virus. It was a gain-of-function virus. This is something that people have done. 
It's not yet determined how it originated and how it got into the society, and that's not the issue of the conversation. But the reality is it's recognized now that this is not a naturally occurring event. This is a man-made, manufactured event that has taken place. What's taking place, about to take place in Israel, is a man-made, manufactured event, but the strings being pulled are being strings pulled by God. The one orchestrating the events, the orchestra is God. The conductor is God. Now the world will look at this and they'll say, ah, this is just the flow of events. This is the ebb and flow of world powers and world might. But what I want you to understand is it's not just the ebb and flow of world power and world might. It's not just the ebb and flow of good leaders and poor leaders. It's also the reality of the hand of God at work behind the scenes orchestrating events to unfold for specific reasons. And the specific reason was to confront and punish the nation of Israel for their rebellion. To confront and punish the nation of Israel for their idolatry. Now, the outcome of all of this, again, looking back in history and having the longer view of history, the end result of this, as the nation was eventually restored back to Jerusalem and to Judah, they never entered into idol worship again as a nation in that technical form. They never, ever again picked up the bales or, or picked up the ashtoreth and all the other kind of stuff. They focused only on Jehovah. But what we need to recognize is these events are not just a natural flow of history. These events are being orchestrated by God. And this frustrates Habakkuk. And so he comes back and he has another conversation. He has another series of questions. Now pause for a second. I'm really grateful for this. God allows Habakkuk to keep on asking questions. And he does this for us as well. Look at verse 12. Shift. God was speaking now. Habakkuk is back turning, is having this conversation with God and he's kind of laying it out and and wrestling through it. He says, Are you not from eternity? Lord my God, my Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them, excuse me, to punish us. He's confused. He's wrestling with this thing. And then he gets to this next statement. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? God, I don't get this. I'm confused. God, this, this, this is not making any sense to me. <clears throat> these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, they are wicked, wicked, evil people. They are vile. They, 
just as you said they love violence, they're bitter, they're, 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 they, they are self-centered, they're self-focused, they're, their sense is in their might and in their power, and they want to dominate and they want to control. They're gonna, they don't care if they make slaves of free people, and they, they don't care if they skip up people and cart them away. They don't care. These are vile. These people are worse than we are. So God, how can you take these people and allow these people who are way worse than us come in and be your hand of judgment on us? Because God, on the scale of wickedness and evilness, we're here and they're way up here. So how come you're using these guys way up here to smack us and to confront us and to correct us? God, how are you doing it? Why are you doing that? Now again, God's allowing him to ask questions. And we're going to get to some of those answers. And God does answer this. You have made mankind like the fish of the sea. Like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them up with a hook catch them in their dragnet and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and they rejoice. God, they're just coming across the wave of our world and they're just pulling behind them the net and they're just scooping up everybody. They're catching everything up in the net of their, of their plans. He makes an observation on their idolatry. God, their idolatry is way worse than our idolatry. This is why they sacrifice to their dragnet. They worship the net and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? God, you're taking these people who are evil, who are vile, and they're worse than us. Why are you doing this? Now here's one of the things I want you to recognize. Israel's wickedness is here. Babylon's wickedness is up here. Which one is righteous? Which one is righteous? Which one is pursuing God and honoring God and celebrating and rejoicing in God? Which one? Neither. See, we are the ones who are inclined to give a sliding scale. We're the ones to give a sliding scale. God, we're not running from you nearly as violently or nearly as hostily as they are running from you. God, we haven't turned our back on you and gone as far from you nearly as much as they have turned their back on you and gone even further. 
But the bottom line, both groups are wicked. Both groups are living sinfully. Both groups have turned their back on God. Now, God is going to answer Habakkuk, and part of the answer that God is going to give to Habakkuk is, yes, I know. Just because they are my hands of justice for you, it does not mean that they are going to go scot-free, but he hasn't given that answer yet, and we're going to talk about that more next week. But one of the things that we need to recognize is we are inclined to give sliding scales of badness. So my badness is not as bad as your badness, so you're a badder, badder person than me. Therefore, I'm better than you. Therefore, God should like me better than you, and therefore God should treat me better than you because you're badder, badder than me. And God goes, no, you're both bad. You're both disobedient. You're both wicked. You're both running from me and turned your back on me, and you both have told me to take a hike. And God is saying, Habakkuk, I need to confront sin. I need to deal with the rebellion of the nation of Israel. It must be confronted. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, I told him exactly what would happen. Habakkuk, I've been super, super patient. Habakkuk, I've been super, super tolerant. It's hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And almost from the beginning of that time, the nation of Israel has turned its back on me and has chased after false gods instead of keeping their heart only and purely for me. I must bring judgment. I must confront the sin. Now, this for us should be a sobering component. Because God must confront sin. Now again, I'm going to come back to that week when we talked about uh, John chapter 3. And again, we came back to, we talked about John 3.16 where it says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. But then we went on to John 17 and we talked about how Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world. And why was it that he was not coming into the world to condemn the world? He was coming into the world to bring forgiveness and he was coming because the world had already been condemned. They were all Ready condemned. So people are already condemned. The judgment has already been identified. Now, the judgment has not yet been executed, but the judgment has been identified. Judgment must confront the sin. But this is where Jesus came in. Jesus became the one who took our sin upon us. In our journey and in our conversation, I want you to understand that if you are running from God, you're setting yourself up into a context where God is going to eventually confront your sin. Now, do you want the 
contemporary version of the Chaldeans pouring out on your life? Or do you want the grace of God to pour out on your life? So the time for judgment has not yet arrived. So what do you desire? For us as individuals, we can still turn to Christ or we're going to face a judgment that's going to be terrifying. I thoroughly appreciate the fact that God allows the questions. Next week, God is going to start to answer these questions really well. And I identified that that key verse, that what many people would say is a key verse, is in chapter 2, verse 4, the, the just shall live by faith. We're going to talk about that. And God is going to start to give some answers to these major questions that Habakkuk is asking. And they really start to give us some clear direction and some hope as we move forward. But as we wrestle through these, here's some of the challenge I want you to walk away with. Number one, I want to challenge you to go back and read the book of Habakkuk again and focus in particularly this week on chapter 2 and just read what God is saying to Habakkuk as he continues to answer because Habakkuk is confused. Number two, I want you to recognize that God allows the questions. As you walk through your journey of life and you have questions that you're wrestling through, ask the questions. And if... Come and talk to me. Come and I can help you connect with other people. But ask the questions of life and ask, be willing to ask God those major, challenging, weighty questions. One of the big questions here is, God, these, why, why this evilness? And why are you allowing evil to knock us out, out of our land? And why, why are you allowing this? God has some of those answers. And as you walk your journey of life and you have major questions you're asking, ask the questions. You're allowed to ask the questions. But be ready to listen to God's answer. Don't, don't come into the conversation looking to kind of whitewash the answer. God's not whitewashing the answer. He's giving a really clear, somewhat heavy answer. But it's the right answer, and it's an answer we need to wrestle through with things in our own journey. I remember when I was about Eugene's age. Just graduated from high school. And I knew God was prodding me to walk a certain path. And I started to run. Maybe some of you can appreciate that. You know, I didn't have any lightning bolts strike me. I didn't hear these voices that said, Andrew! didn't happen but that summer I had like eight flat tires started graduation party night every time I turned around I was getting another flat tire the final one and and it's all kind of stupid stuff the final one was when I was in the gas station and I cut the corner too tight at the gas pump as I'm leaving. And this is back in the days of steel rims, not other kinds of rims. And I hit it too tight 
And next thing you know, I had a bent steel rim, and the rim didn't hold bead, and I lost all the air in my tire. I had to get the dumb tire off, had to take the tire to the place to get them hammering it back into shape. Finally, I said, okay, I will listen. I know you're trying to get my attention. Sometimes it's not through supernatural things that God brings discipline or that he's trying to get our attention. Sometimes it's from those very natural things of life. And he's using those things to start to say, will you listen? Do I have your attention yet? Are you going to stop running? Are you going to start to listen now? Are you going to start to follow? Or do I need to keep on allowing these other things to continue to take place? You know what's interesting? Since my teenage years, I haven't had eight flat tires. I've had a couple. And every time I have one, I look in the mirror. But I haven't had nearly the number of flat tires that I did that summer after I graduated. Is God prodding you, trying to get your attention? Maybe using natural things, just like he's using the Chaldeans to confront and punish Judah. Is he allowing things in your life to get your attention? And are you paying attention if he's doing that? Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you for your work in our lives. And Father, I I say thank you again as we started just for the ways that you use music to prod us, to get us to think and to explore and ask questions. And Father, just as you then use your word to prod us, to get us to think and to get us to ask questions, Father, all of it, you use it to move us to walk with you, to know you and to embrace you. Father, be at work in us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.